All right, g'day there. Um, how about a let us in prayer? Uh, will you pray with me? Uh, God, our Father, uh, we thank you that the whole Bible is your word to us. Uh, but Father, sometimes uh, we find it strange and difficult to understand how it applies to us. Uh, so Father, please give me wisdom. Uh, please equip me by your spirit as I speak today. Uh, and Father, please give each one of us soft hearts uh, so that you write your word and your law on our hearts so that we receive Jesus uh, and so that we live lives that are holy and pleasing to you when we pray it in his name. Amen. Now, um, you're all familiar with some of the, uh, the great saints of the Christian faith. So here we have um, St. Peter. Uh, and next one is St. Paul. Uh, does anyone recognize this next one? Guesses? Come on. The birds are a giveaway. St. Francis. Someone said St. Francis. Francis of Assisi. Oh, anyway. Haven't you heard of, you know, the guy that birds used to come and land on? Okay. Uh, there he is, Francis. Uh, next one. Anyone know this one? St. Nicholas, okay, uh, from whom we get, you know, Santa Claus, but there's a long way between this guy and, you know, Santa Claus, obviously. Um, but so there's some of the ancient saints, um, but there's a few more we need to add to the list. So um, here we've got St. Rod and St. Naomi uh, and little St. Talia there as well uh, and a few others that we'll be uh, focusing on, St. Gilbert uh, and... St. Bree, St. Gloria. Uh, these are all our brothers and sisters who are going to be baptised today. Uh, St. Chad, St. Amy. Uh, let me keep going there. What about St. Nathan? <laughs> he looks like he blows on, belongs on a Lowe's catalogue or something like that, doesn't he? Uh, so there's St. Nathan. Um, so now you probably think I'm joking, you know, uh, but I'm actually serious. These brothers and sisters, you know, local, who live amongst us, who are being baptised today, including Rod and Naomi here, uh, they are just as qualified to be called saints as St. Peter, St. Paul, St. Francis, St. Nicholas, uh, and on and on, you know, I could go. Uh, and And just before I continue on, um, we need to go and support them down at Thawoon Bay, right? So, because you think, oh, gee, it's a miserable day, I don't really want to go out. So, well, you think about them, hey? Uh, bigger cost for them because they're actually going in the water. You might just get a little bit of sprinkling on you, but they're going fully under. So, I reckon we should be down there, even if you don't hang around for a picnic, uh, you should be down there to support the saints uh, as they're baptised. Uh, and you could be on the list as well. Um, See, the word saint literally means a holy person. And by the end of this morning, hopefully you'll recognize that those who are being baptized today are qualified to be called saints, are fully qualified to be called saints, and hopefully you'll go away realizing how you too can be called a saint, how you too can be a holy person. Uh, in holy relationship with God. 
So this morning we continue this series uh, in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Um, so if you're with us for the first time or are visiting, uh, it's great to have you with us. Uh, but we've been in this series for about six weeks. It's part of the Bible, but it's one of those books that feels so distant from life in the 21st century. For, certainly at first glance you go, oh, what, what's that got to do with me? And yet over the last six weeks have we, as we've been wrestling with it, we found that it's profoundly relevant uh, to us in the 21st century. Uh, we've just got to, you know, wrestle a bit harder with it together. But I, I've I've been really blessed, and I know many of you have. Uh, and so, and God willing, we will as well today. Today we're in chapter 19. So turn up Leviticus chapter 19. Uh, the chapter begins with a verse <clears throat> that effectively summarizes the whole book of Leviticus. Uh, chapter 19, verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. It's that last phrase that I want to focus on. Be holy. God says, Be holy, because I am holy. Now you'll see in your outlines how often that that phrase comes up in this book of Leviticus. I haven't got an outline, but I'm sure you can see it there. See on your, the, there's a box there with a number of verses. So in chapter 11, what other chapters does it come up? Call it out to me. So chapter 19, chapter 20, 26. All right, so just again and again and again, this phrase, be holy because I am holy, comes up throughout the book of Leviticus. It really is like a theme statement of the book of Leviticus. So firstly, what does it mean that God is holy? That's what, that's one of the big things we've focused on in the last six weeks. Um, at the time Leviticus was written, you've got to remember, oh thanks Melissa, um, at the time Leviticus was written, you've got to remember that the people of Israel were gathered around the foothills of Mount Sinai. So this is 1500 BC we're talking about. They gathered round Mount Sinai and it was, it was an awesome and terrifying sight because as they gathered there, the, the mountain was covered, covered in thick cloud. There was lightning and thunder and fire and out of the midst of it came the voice of God and it was a terrifying experience. The people of Israel were left in no doubt that when you talk about God being holy, it meant he is awesome, he is, he is fearsome, um, he is pure and perfect. Uh, he, he's not someone you can approach lightly. Uh, our God is a consuming fire is one of the ways he has been described. Um, so the people of Israel knew these three things very clearly. Come up on your screen. We've seen them again and again. I am a sinner. God is holy. I deserve to die. Uh, and even just that experience of standing in the presence of God around the mountain just brought home an awareness of those three fundamental truths. I am a sinner. God is holy. I deserve to die. And yet... God provided a way for sinful people to come into the presence of the holy God. And that's what the, the whole tent of meeting and the sacrifices was all about. 
Uh, the tent of meeting was just this tent that they would set up in the desert from you know place to place they'd move on. But there is where God would meet with his people. But how does a how does a sinful people approach the holy God without being destroyed? Well, you'd bring an animal, a, an animal for sacrifice. Uh, so I see this man's bringing um, a bull. Uh, and you'd bring it to the tent of meeting, you'd place your hands on the bull, and then the bull would be slaughtered. All right? So the idea of placing your hands on the bull was like my guilt, my sin is being placed on this animal, and then it is dying for my sin in my place. And then the priests would sprinkle the blood, and, you'd, and you, would, you would know that God has brought you cleansing and forgiveness. God has made you holy once more. <clears throat> so, the people of Israel were made holy by God through the sacrifices made at the tent of meeting, but they were also called upon to be holy, to live lives that were different, distinct, set apart. So come back to chapter 18, the first few verses. <clears throat> the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. Don't just be like the people from Egypt or the people of Canaan. But verse 4, you must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the law, Lord your God. See, the idea of being holy was, you know, God is holy. His people ought to be holy. His people ought to be different. His people ought to follow his laws, not whatever they make up or not whatever they do in other places. Uh, these are to be set apart as God's people, distinctive and different. And the logic works something like this. I am the holy God. This is what God says. I am the holy God. I have made you a holy people through the offering of sacrifices and cleansing and forgiveness. So live like it. That is, live holy lives. Live a life of holiness that is different and distinct. Now that same logic applies to us today. Right? It might look a little different, but that same logic applies to us today just as it did for the people of Israel 15, in 1500 BC. So, uh, have a look on your outline. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. See that verse there? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. By that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You see what it's saying? It's not saying we can be holy if we do a whole lot of things. It's saying... We have been made holy through the sacrifice of Jesus. So just as the Israelite brought the sacrifice and was cleansed and made holy, we are made holy by a sacrifice that has been offered once for all, the death of Jesus in our place. Um, but what, what the New Testament goes on to say, yes, you are holy, so live like it. Um, so... That, that logic still applies. I am the holy God, I've made you holy, so live like it. So have a look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. So there in your outlines again. As obedient children, do not conform 
to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Don't just be like the people round about you, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So we are still called to be distinctively different as God's people, imitating God today just as Israel were to imitate God in 1500 BC. So all those being baptised today, including uh, Rod and Naomi, just the next slide there, Dave, (coughs) all our brothers and sisters who are being baptised today, they are holy already. They don't need to be baptised to make them holy. They're holy already. Don't expect that they will magically um, grow a halo or some sort of aura will shine from them. Uh, If you can't see it already, it won't change uh, by being baptised. The baptism is just an outward symbol of what has already taken place in their hearts, and that is they have come to know of the cleansing of Jesus, the forgiveness. They have been made holy already as they put their faith in Jesus. But the same logic applies to these guys. God says, I am holy, I'm the holy God. I have made you holy through the death of Jesus in your place. So be holy, live out a life of holiness. But the question is, what does it look like? What does it look like to live a holy life? Back then, what does it look like to live a holy life now? Well, this chapter alone is filled with things that the people of Israel had to do to live out a holy life. So have a look at verse 10. (coughs) Chapter 19, verse 10. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbour. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. Do not pervert justice. Do not go about spreading slander. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbour's life. And on and on it goes. And you just think they are fantastic commands. As you just look at those commands that I read, what's the next slide, by the way, Dave? Holiness then and now, right? Um, this is what holiness looks like, and they're beautiful commands. Can, can you just imagine a society where people took those commands to heart? Uh, it would be a society where you wouldn't need to lock your car because you wouldn't, you wouldn't fear that someone was going to break in and steal stuff. You wouldn't need to lock your house. Um, you wouldn't need to pay as much tax because everyone was trying to do the right thing and everyone was looking out for the poor and caring for the poor. So you wouldn't need the government to impose a system because this is just something that we all do. And the justice system, you would actually have confidence that it would bring real justice and there wouldn't be gossip and bullying and it would just feel like a safe society. Uh, it would have been fantastic. Um, but mixed in with all those really beautiful commands in this chapter are some more strange commands, like verse 19. Do not mate different kinds of animals. 
It's funny, isn't it? I'd never even thought of that. But now, uh, you know, what are the possibilities? Can anyone think of an example of this? A donkey? A zonkey, a zonkey. <laughs> there you go. So they're disobeying the law, but what they're doing is they're crossing a zebra with a donkey, a zonkey. There you go. Anyone, anyone else? A labradoodle, right? I don't, is that wrong or is it different species or different animals? So a labradoodle is a labrador and a poodle and you get a labradoodle. It's just a great name, isn't it? What? A liger. A lion and a tiger. Have they've actually done this? Have they? Okay, so you can, uh, so for an Israelite, not that you'd ever want to try, like how do you actually fabricate that happening? But uh, a lion and a tiger mating, you get a liger. But for the Israelites, they weren't to do that. Okay, so there, there's one command. Um, do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Is anyone guilty of ever doing this? No, surely, right? They actually, they call it companion planting. They actually, they actually say it's a good thing. It's a horticulturalist. So they suggest that when you plant carrots, you plant radishes as well and, and they grow at different rates and, and just good companion, but not for the Israelites. Uh, it was not on. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. I've already seen that you've admitted to this. So what have you, what are you wearing then? Polyester cotton. Linda, didn't you read this passage before you came here? Um, <clears throat> take it off right now, right? All, all the polyester cotton, it's gone, we've got to burn it. Um, verse 27, do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Verse 28, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourself, I'm the Lord. Now, if we want to live a holy life, do we have to obey all of these commands or just some of them? And if so, how do we work out which ones? Do we read the chapter and just work out, oh, these ones make sense, but these ones seem a bit silly, and so I'll keep the ones that make sense, but the ones that seem a bit silly, I'll just ignore them. Is that how... It's a dangerous way to approach the Word of God, isn't it? To say, oh, I don't like that part of the Word of God, so I'll just, I'll ignore that, but I'll take the parts that I like. Right? That is, that is the pathway to hell, right? When you actually start saying, I'm the one who determines which parts of God's Word I take seriously, you're actually saying, I'm God, and I'll tell God how I should run. So that's not the way to go. Um, and yet, we've already admitted that we all don't take these laws to heart. We're not obeying, you know, the law about poly cotton, you know, clothing and so on. Um, now, for the people of Israel back in Old Testament, holiness meant keeping all of these commands. So let's put, put that up on the screen. The people of Israel were obligated to keep all the commands. Um, do not lie, do not steal, do not cut the edges of your beard, do not wear a tattoo, do not eat pork. They were to take all the commands seriously without picking and choosing. Right? It was a package deal of this is what the holy life looks like because this is what the holy God has spelt out the holy life looks like. But for us as Christians, we Christians are not obligated to keep all the commands. Really important that you take that on board. We Christians are not 
obligated to keep all these commands. And it's not just me that says this. So in your outlines, there's a couple of verses on the second page. Uh, Romans 16, verse 14. And you, you, there's quite a number of times in the New Testament where this idea is picked up. You are not under the law, but under grace. We are no longer obligated to keep the law of Moses, uh, the laws that were given to Israel at Mount Sinai. Or Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Right? So the law is like a tutor or a school teacher that helps helps the child during adolescence, but once they reach maturity, then no longer needed. Uh, once Christ comes, the law is no longer binding or obligatory for the Christian who comes to know Jesus. Um, When I was a kid, in our household, we had these wooden blocks called Cuisinaire rods. Does anyone remember these? Uh, Put your hand up if you you have a look on the screen. Can you people remember these? I reckon that anyone 40 or over, anyone under 40, um, so why did you throw them out, Mum and Dad? Come on. Uh, you didn't, you still got them. Okay. So what it was, what it was for those who didn't have them is a, a series of colored blocks of different lengths. And it, and the idea was it helped you learn how to count and how to do simple mathematics. So I'll give you an example. Um, a white plus a red equals a green. Right? And you line them up. And that's the way it worked. If you put two whites together, you got a red. If you put a white plus a red, you got a green. Um, and what it was doing, it was hell. <laughs> Tim is looking at me like, what are you on about? <laughs> How old are you, Tim? Tim's a bit of a mathematical mind, but yeah, this doesn't help you. Right, okay. Well, it should. Yeah. This is, could be what you've been missing. And now, uh, so that, that, that helps you work out that one plus two equals three, right? So that's that's one plus two equals three. Um, now, funny, isn't it? It's because when you think about it, there is no reason why white represents one. Is there? Is there anything intrinsically one about white, or intrinsically white about one? I I, I can't think. I can't. Well, it could be. There could be, but I never worked it out. Um, and then about red. What about what is what is red about two? Uh, what is green about three? And and you can sort of go on and and you could spend your whole life thinking, trying to think into that. Um, but I think that's to misunderstand the point. Um, the colours are not what matters. It's the numbers and the concepts that matter. The colours are only there as an aid to helping you understand the mathematical concepts and the numbers and the maths and so on. And once I get the concepts, I can leave the colours behind. I don't need the colours anymore. Uh, And I reckon the law is like that. And that is, at the heart of the law were some abstract ideas that were actually they are quite difficult to get your head around if you don't think in this sort of way. So at the heart of the law are ideas like, I am a sinner, I'm a sinner, God is holy, I deserve to die. Now what the laws do is they help me 
make sense of them, help fill out those things, help me understand, yeah, I'm a sinner, I'm unclean. When I eat certain foods, it makes me unclean and, and so on. Or God says, I am the holy God, I've made you holy, so live like it. Right? So these, these are abstract ideas and lots of the laws were about reinforcing those concepts. But once Jesus came, he did away with lots of the laws. Like in Mark chapter 7, he declared all foods clean. And up until that point, a Jew wasn't able to eat pork or prawns or shell. All, all those things were unclean foods for Jewish people. But Jesus said, don't worry about them anymore. All foods are clean. Um, you can eat whatever you like. Um, and now you don't have to, if you become a Christian, you don't have to burn your polycotton, you know, shirt and whatever else is polycotton. Um, you don't have to... You don't have to have your tattoos removed on becoming a Christian. It's okay for a Christian to plant carrots and radishes in the same patch uh, if you had a guilty conscience about that. Uh, it's okay. So lots of laws were made obsolete and no longer have any bearing on the Christian because what they were doing is they were functioning to teach us to teach us concepts of holiness and cleanness and sin, all these concepts. But once Jesus comes, it's like he makes a lot of those laws obsolete now. But um, uh, the key concepts still remain, and lots of the laws are reiterated in the New Testament, aren't they? Um, so by Jesus or by the apostles, do not steal, do not lie, do not slander. It's like the New Testament writers were reflecting on these ones and saying, no, these have enduring value. There's nothing about these that was time-bound. Uh, they apply to us today just as they did back then. Um, and so we still take many of these laws to heart, but many of them have become obsolete. But this is the important thing. Just because there is a command given in the Old Testament law does not mean I am obligated to obey it. Just because there's a law given in the Old Testament law, just, as, just because there's a command given in the Old Testament law doesn't mean I, as a Christian, am obligated to obey it. A Christian is no longer under the law. What we do is we reflect on the law through our understanding of the gospel and the message of Jesus. Um, I'll give you an example to help you think about another example. We've recently had a whole bunch of about a dozen HSC students who have just finished their final exams. Right? And it's a massive thing, finishing the HSC. And, and now they're enjoying this freedom uh, of you know, life outside of school. Imagine one of these HSC students is walking down the street and they see one of their teachers. Right? Uh, and uh, you know, it brings back a flood of memories of school and exams and, oh, man, I've just escaped from all that. And, oh, but but you know, they've probably got an affection for their teacher as well. But the, the thing about that teacher is that teacher, they have a different relationship with the teacher now. Right? They're no longer a student in school. The teacher no longer sets the exams. So that student may still go to the teacher and ask for advice, but they're no longer obligated to take that advice. Uh, they're no longer obligated... The, the teacher no longer sets the exams. 
Does that, does that make sense? Because there's a change of relationship. And I think that's a helpful way of thinking about the Old Testament law. For the Christian, we're no longer obligated to keep the law, but that's not to say we just throw it away. Uh, what you see the New Testament writers doing is reflecting deeply on the law and seeing principles and concepts and ideas that are very pertinent to the Christian life without applying every detail to the life of the Christian. Um, I hope that's helpful. Right, But we need to go a step further. And that the step further is to understand what is at the heart of holiness. Put that up on the screen, Dave. What is at the heart of holiness? Can anyone answer? One word. What is at the heart of holiness? You got it, Anne? Oh, Christ. Yes, sorry. Yes, and that was not the word I had. But Christ, yeah. Love. Love. Yeah, so love. Let's see what it is there, Dave. Love. Okay. Uh, it's interesting. In the middle of Leviticus 19, in between laws about tattoos and shaving your beard and lying and stealing, and comes a single command about love. And, and you could almost miss it if you weren't looking out for it. Have a look there in chapter 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Keep my decrees. Do not make different kinds of animals. Right? If you're just reading the whole chapter, it's almost like you could easily just cruise on through um, and not really particularly, it wouldn't particularly stand out. Um, but that is the big one. That is the big command. See, when Jesus was challenged about you know, the law and which is the greatest command, well, firstly, he quoted Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart and strength and soul and mind. And then he quoted Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Jesus says those two commands about love of God and love of neighbor, they are the big ones on which the whole rest of it is based. Uh, and if you do those ones perfectly, you've actually fulfilled the rest by default. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. Uh, it's in your outlines again. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Or... James chapter 2, verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Uh, we heard it from Hebrew, uh, Romans chapter 13. All the commands, you know, shall not murder, shall not steal, shall not covet, whatever other command there may be, they're summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So come back to the Cuisin air rods, um, which I've reintroduced here today. Um, You've got two, two key ideas. Holy, holy is, you know, it's the big dominating idea in the book of Leviticus. But then as Jesus reflects on the book of Leviticus, he sees love as the, as a dominant idea. And, and he's not, he's not denying it. It's about holiness, but he's saying it's about both holiness and love come together in the real God. So this is the thing our society doesn't get. Our society says God is love, and so the idea of God's holiness and his fearsomeness and his, his awesomeness gets lost. Or people say, oh, if you focus on the holy God, then where, where is the loving God gone? 
But the book of Leviticus is saying you have to hold the two things together and there you have the true God. And the true God says, that is what I'm like, love and holiness in perfect, you know, without compromising either. And God says, that's how I want you to be. So for you and me, let's have a look. For you and me, God wants us to be holy and God wants us to, to love. And he wants those things to come together in us just as they come together in him. Um, so finally, I want, to, um, I want to comment on the practicalities of holiness. See, sometimes I reckon people get the wrong idea about holiness. And I don't think church history has helped. So sometimes when you think about a holy person, uh, you think about some sort of monk who has secluded himself from society and now lives on some sort of uh, hilltop monastery. And he might have even taken a vow of silence. Uh, and so even though there are other monks there, they never talk to each other. They just they live this contemplative life. Real holiness is far different from that. Um, real holiness is far more earthy and practical than that. So real holiness is seen in every detail of life. And that's, that's what you get from Leviticus 19. Um, real holiness is, is seen in every detail of interaction with other people. So as we show concern for the poor, uh, you know, as we, as we harvest our fields and we just think, oh no, I won't, I won't strip harvest it completely because I want to be concerned about the poor and the vulnerable to be able to come and pick up the scraps. Uh, we show hospitality to the foreigner as we are careful not to lie or slander or gossip. Uh, this is, that's the realm where real holiness comes to bear. It's in personal interaction with others. So I want to come back to the slide that I began with, with some of the, the great saints, both new and old. Uh, for all those who are being baptised today, their baptism is a symbol of what has already taken place. As they've come to know Jesus and trust in his death and resurrection, so they've been washed clean, they've been forgiven all their sins, they have been made holy, set apart for God. Uh, and they want God's help now as they seek to live that out. As they seek to live a life of holiness, uh, as they seek to live lives of love. And don't expect some halo or aura to shine out from them. Right? How will you see that holiness? You will see it in hundreds and thousands of acts of love and kindness and hospitality and generosity throughout a lifetime. Uh, you'll see it in everyday interactions. Uh, at least that's the intention. And that's what they want us to pray for them, that just as they have been made holy by God so that they will shine out through the lives they live, uh, a life of holiness in imitation of God. But what about you? What about you? Let's have a look up on the screen. Are you holy? Have you been washed clean? Have you been forgiven? The, the important thing to realize is you cannot make yourself holy. You cannot do it yourself. You need to come to Jesus 
the person, the place where we meet with God and his perfect sacrifice of his death in our place offered by Jesus, the perfect priest. That's the only way we can be holy. Um, and the good news is that he offers that to everyone. Right? So come and talk to me afterwards if you want to go, yeah, yeah, I, I'm not holy, but I need to be. Come and talk to me. Uh, we'd love to help you understand what Jesus has come to do in, in making you holy. But for all of you who are already holy, that is, if you're already a Christian and already forgiven, God calls on you to be holy, to live a life of love. And what I want to do is just give you a minute or so to reflect, to pray about that, that just as God has made you holy, so you will now take that to heart and by his spirit live a life of holiness uh, to shine out his love. So take a moment to reflect and pray before I lead us in prayer. We're going to pray. God, our Father, you are the holy God. And uh, we so easily lose sight of that. But Father, we thank you that you warn us and you tell us and you teach us that a sinful people cannot approach the holy God except you have made a way through the death of Jesus as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Thank you that we can come to you into your presence knowing that we have been cleansed and forgiven, that we have been made holy. And just as we have been made holy and set apart for you, you call us to live that out. And please help us to do that in every area of our lives. And in particular, we pray that we will live lives of love. Uh, we pray that for each one of us, and especially that for those who are being baptised today, may we all live lives of love in a whole range of practical ways. Please keep slander far from our lips. Uh, teach us not to steal or to lie or to deceive one another. Please teach us to be concerned for the poor and for the outsider, uh, for the foreigner, for those seeking asylum in our nation. Please give us hearts of compassion. Um, Father, we pray in so many ways you will, you will help us and equip us and empower us to live lives of love so that we might shine out and so that people might see it and recognize that we are being changed and transformed by the Holy God, uh, the God who is love. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.